Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie on the morning of a, after a, landmark date in the hockey world, right? Like Olympic finals. How many times have you and I seen Olympic finals? We can count it on one hand, I guess, consciously. How many times have you and I worked in the industry when the Olympic final, and we're talking about the men's Olympic final, have been on only a handful each? What, two, three, maybe? So it should be this big thing, right? But on the morning after... The Olympic final, the men's side, I don't think either of us have much to say, but we'll get into that in a moment. But first, Julian, how are you? What's going on? Are you still buzzing from that last episode of Zone Time we had? (laughs) Dude, Avery, when he pulled out that Trinidad and Tobago jersey, I I mean, I know he said he had it. There was like a part of me just like thinking he was kidding. And then he actually like walked out and put it on. That was one of the more wilder experiences and like i built a roster of like team west indies players and like did you share that online i missed it. i haven't shared i haven't shared that online yet actually okay. um, give me the first but, line uh, man. give me the first line okay off top because i'm just trying to pull up the list that like i don't have it in front of me yet but i remember i had a line of anthony duclair quinton okay. byfield and josh jose i don't think that's a bad line at all i mean that's better than team europe's third line no i think like with that line at the very least like you, you could guess you're gonna get goals you're gonna get truculence you're gonna get some physicality some like firepower like Simmons in there yeah that's it the goaltending's a little shaky because you got like malcolm suban and and christopher uh christopher gibson it's it's a it could use some work but uh if you have fred brathwaite behind the bench and then you have kevin weeks as gm maybe mm. that helps on that front uh but yeah i had a lot of fun after the fact just like looking through uh some players and seeing if i could build a roster i fit fi- i figured you know what nigel dawes could play on the fourth line too 100 percent. khl yeah, king absolutely um so i said wayne simmons already uh both joseph brothers so pierre olivier on defense and and mathieu on the second line or third line I'm just going to find the, I'm just going to find it here as I'm like talking about it. Cause it doesn't make sense that like, I just like try to remember everything. I know I texted this to somebody. I have it somewhere. It's just like, I put you I on know, the spot like, I, there. I put you on the spot. It's okay. It's okay. I spent like about a couple hours just like looking through the raw, like possible players who could play and like trying to guess who could play. Like I have a kill Thomas here. Oh, uh, yeah. Pierre Edouard, Pierre Edouard Belmont. 
uh, Jamel Smith, uh, well, PK, obviously, and Darnell. Um, mm-hmm. Two names that I'm not sure you would have thought would make Team West Indies, but I'm just going to throw them at you who are going to be like, who would be in my ideal world as like bottom six centers. Jason Dickinson and Nate Thompson. Those are two names. I was like, oh my God. Yes. Jason Dickinson. His, his mom or one of his parents are from St. Kitts and Nevis. Hmm. And Nate Thompson is a uh, half Trinity. He's from Trinidad. Really? So yes. So yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to share this list. You got to share the list. Yeah. I will. Go- uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I think I'm going to do some more fine tuning with it, but uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll unveil it at a later date. I was worried Avery was going to go up to the closet and just not come back because he, not not to get lost there. I mean, he's got, I mean, actually his closet's probably like perfectly organized with all the suits and all that stuff. So it probably wasn't a chore for him. But when he left, I was like, I mean, the show isn't too long. Like if I, if I had to go get a single article of clothing from my closet, I might be up there for 10 to 15 minutes. I figured you're going to bring up the golf club. Well, that's that's always at my disposal here, Julian. That's always at my disposal. But I will leave that bit to Avery, who, uh, of course, has all the timeless moments on zone time. Uh, okay, let's get into it. The men's Olympic final was Saturday night. It sort of paled in comparison even to NHL games that were on, it seemed. Like, a lot of buzz about the St. Louis Blues and Toronto Maple Leafs. That was a fun game. Fans back in the seats. Lots of energy and enthusiasm of course a trade to cap things off and we'll get into that trade involving the maple leafs and coyotes a little bit later but that seemed like it was what was stealing the thunder and other things stealing the thunder of the men's olympic final of course said it a few times it was finland who beat russia I believe it was three to one the final was there an empty thunder it's two to one or three to one here's here's the thing man I, <laughs> See, I, I don't that's know. the problem we don't i don't no. even know i don't even know. i watched I, the game and i can't even tell you what the score is that's how forgettable it was I went to a bar on Saturday night and the bar I went to showed the Leafs game. They showed the uh, Ducks and Canucks game, which, holy crap, I think at one point, like the Canucks had like three shots. It was like the second period. And they showed the NBA All-Star weekend competition. We were watching a pretty, I think the, I mean, the men's Olympic final, maybe it might've been more entertaining. Uh, no. than the dunk contest but if well, it's at that maybe. point it, it might it might actually be level because the dunk contest was forgettable it was pretty forgettable like like one guy cole anthony the son of greg anthony like he did a dunk wearing timberlands or wearing tims mm-hmm. that was like the most like notable thing that happened like all night that's pretty weak yep yeah. yep so i mean i mean it wasn't a banner night i guess across all sports but uh, you know, we could talk about how the dunk contest has lost its luster, but of course the Olympic final and the Olympics, at least on the men's side has lost its luster a lot. And we know why, right? We, we don't even have to bemoan this anymore. You know, even the panel uh, you probably didn't hear the panel. If you were in a bar, it might not even been on the TVs, but immediately Glenn Healy is talking about, okay, what are we going to see in four years? Like immediately we're talking about that because it was so disappointing in all aspects. And again, these were. You know, there, I think if you're an average hockey fan, maybe you were rooting against Russia with, you know, how they've approached these Olympic Games, past Olympic Games, all the stuff going on with that teen figure skater and all the yeah. drama. It always seems to surround Russia. So if you were the average hockey fan who appreciates what Finland, a country of 5.5 million people total, can do at the world's, on the world stage and continues to do pretty much every tournament they're involved in, yeah, I could see you getting behind Finland and they won. And that's great, of course. 
Russia, or the OAR. It was OAR four years ago. ROC this year. Again, I don't understand all that. It's the Rock. <laughs> we, we now throw up the Rock, which is, at least we can say that. That's one redeeming quality about the Russians right now. Uh, but they didn't win, so maybe people found some happiness in that. But really, this tournament, aside from like a couple intriguing performances, and hint, I'm going to talk about one a little later on the tire pumps, um, it was like a contest of parking the bus. It was like all these teams were just trying to get to shootouts, trying to get, trying to survive their opponents rather than beat their opponents. And Finland, quite appropriately, won a tournament like that because that is in their DNA. They do that all the time. It's in their nature to play in that way. So happy for guys like Leo Komarov, happy for someone like Valtteri Filppula. But really, I mean, this was even more disappointing than I thought it was going to be. And I knew how disappointing it was four years ago. So it, it was so easy to just treat this as a read-through, which is really disappointing given, given what it should mean and what we saw four or five days ago with the women's Olympic final, which was unbelievable. Legacy cementing, like everything that goes into a huge sporting event, you got out of that final. And five days later, we got something that just paled in comparison. Yeah, the Olympic hockey finals, men and women, do not work unless you have the best players there. And I'll say that strictly from an entertainment perspective, because I think the fact that Finland was able to get the job done and get a gold medal, that doesn't demean, I don't think it should totally demean the quality of that gold medal. I don't know if you saw that tweet from Gordon Miller, uh, just detailing Finland's results yeah. going all the way back. Amazing. To like 2014. Amazing. They've, they, this is, this is something that like, it's a culmination of a lot of hard work that has gone through basically the last eight years. And I think even if they had NHLers at this tournament, I mean, who knows, maybe they, they still get a medal out of it. And that's still great because they would have had a embarrassment of riches, especially at the forward position mm -hmm. on their team. But I think the fact that they were still able to get a gold medal, even if they didn't have uh, all the best players possible at this tournament, we should still give them props for being able to do it. Uh, yeah. But other than that, like in terms of a pure entertainment getting people wrapped into the tournament. Like I just felt it was a little hard to get to with the fact that we didn't have the world's best players at our disposal in these tournaments. Like, like, I mean, it's good to watch Canada perform, but like Eric Stahl, like, I don't know. Like it didn't, I no, thought it would have done not... something, but I don't think it really, it did. I know when power, I, I thought he would have been like more of the, uh, the big selling point here, but like, even him, like not necessarily uh, that impactful in the tournament. It's just, and even them, like, getting eliminated early, like, geez, like, I mean, I think that also kind of took me out of it as well, too. Just, I think you, it would be nice to see Canada get to the gold medal game or, or even, like, a third-place game. But I think once they lost their, their game to Sweden, like, that kind of took me out of it. Yeah, I don't even know if there's any, like, real take-home messages either. Like, okay, clearly the depth can't cut it for Canada and the United States. Like, you know, beyond the best players and team a or team B and C and D and E that you could get from the NHL beyond that. It's just not good enough to win at that level, probably because not because the talent isn't there, but because you immediately are thrown into what is pretty high stakes and comp uh, competitive atmosphere. And you have no familiarity. Like these players are just thrown together a little training camp. Claude Julian breaks his ribs and they're all of a sudden they're in Beijing. Like it, it just comes together so quickly when a team like Finland and not to say they play together, not to say they all play in the same league. Some of them would, but they have that familiarity because they play the game one way. They, they grow up learning the game 
a specific way. And I think it's easier for them to come together than compared to a Canada or the United States, which both of those countries took two different strategies here. One went young, one leaned experience and European um, success, you know, current success or form as we speak. But Mm -hmm. these are players playing on big ice and all of a sudden they're playing on NHL ice and it doesn't work as well. Like, I actually think Canada would have done better in this tournament if it was Olympic size ice or what we previously thought of Olympic size ice, because that's what they're used to. Yeah, Eric Stahl, Josh Hosang, they're used to playing on the on the smaller ice surface. But it felt like, you know, if you're going to take an NHL style, it probably would have been better to go the collegiate route like the United States did or, or uh, a taking from players from North America. Again, you can nitpick all of this, but really it doesn't it comes down to one thing. Canada just wasn't good enough this team, the depth of the country's talent pool, although vast and the deepest in the world, the majority of those players are playing in the NHL and the AHL. So it, it doesn't really matter, right? So uh, I just feel like the learning curve is so so big for a country like Canada and the United States at this event and a team that can just sort of click it on like Finland uh, and like Russia can can get pretty far. So it, it's not what it should be. It, that's That's the point. Like it's in all ways, it's not what it should be, whether it's, you know, the NHLers being involved or classic European style hockey, like it, it just, it didn't fill a role at all. And that's, you know, one of many reasons why it fell short. Yeah. Bring the NHL players back. That's all I could really add. At to least that, there's really. some optimism about that, right? At uh, least. I think, I think the, uh, the double IHF president was talking about it after, you know, who knows what we're going to be looking like in four years, but, uh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, some people, they missed their chance. I don't think we're ever going to see Steven Stamkos, Brad Marchand might fall through the cracks. That sucks. Um, But we really need the NHL players back or this means absolutely nothing. And it's pretty disappointing uh, that you and I, through like the decade of our life when we're like just starting in this industry, don't really get to see it. It sucks. Um, And it sucks for hockey fans, of course. Um, But shout out to the women. Is there anything you're still buzzing about after that? Women's Olympic fun. I know on on another podcast, I I tried to show love to to Sarah Nurse. The one thing I still can't believe, um, I I still can't believe it. Sarah Nurse is like the first black player to get an Olympic medal in women's hockey. I I thought I heard first first black woman to ever play in the Olympics. Like, like what? Like, like that, that, that blows my mind. Could be wrong there. Should fact check. I mean, I, fact check that. Like, fact check that. Because, like, I mean, like, Angela James, was she not on any of these teams? Is there not That's anyone else that could That's have what played? I thought. So that, I might have heard that wrong or someone else was wrong. But either way, first black woman to medal in hockey was Sarah Nurse. Like, and, of course, she puts on a Olympic record performance, beating the likes of Haley Wickenheiser in total points, outscoring the GOAT, Marie-Philippe Poulin, in this tournament. I mean, she was... She was one of the main drivers and stories for Canada. And it's a bit of a redemption story for her because she only had one goal, zero assists, one point in five games in her first Olympic Games four years ago in Pyeongchang. Of course, the Canadians didn't win that tournament. So a little bit of a sour taste in her mouth. And she started this tournament on a third line. Like, I thought that was her role. I thought her and Blair Turnbull were going to bring the energy and defensive prowess in that third line function. Melody Dau? Yes. Did I say that yes. right? Melody Dau goes down, she steps up, and she not only fills the role, but leads Canada offensively with tournament lead in points. Uh, the legendary performances for this team, like there's no shortage of them. 
so, so good. The goaltender and Rene Debian, unbelievable. Of course, MPP, Nurse, Sarah Fillier breaking out. Like, there's just so much to be excited about that team. And maybe one thing that I found interesting from the, from the men's side, just, just brutal. Just brutal on the men's side, but unbelievable, legendary, everything on the women's side. That was cool to see people getting behind the women's team as we did. And I know people do that at the Olympics like every time because the expectation for Team Canada is to win every year that they're at the Olympics. But just with this team this year and all the performances and the way that they were rolling through teams and seeing people just like really get behind them. I don't know. There was just something about this year. I guess it's the fact that the games were on at 11, at least in Eastern Standard Time, and people were still being very like, like animated and very into this team. Like people were still throwing their weight behind this team. Like that's what was pretty interesting and pretty special about this women's roster. But I have to shout out Sarah Nurse and I still can't believe. Uh, yeah, like like I'm just reading this tweet from Black Girl Hockey Club. Love love that folks are talking about Sarah Nurse and her record-breaking scoring. For context, there's never been any there's never been another black woman on any Olympic ice hockey team ever. She's the mm-hmm. first to win gold and first and only black woman to ever play at that level. Like there's a part of me that's like that's awesome that she has that. But there's another part of me that's like, we're in 2022 and now this happens? Like, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. Uh, it's not to say, like, this sport does not have black women who don't play this sport. Like, it no. I just kind of boggled my mind a little bit. No, I mean, this is still uh, this is still a game in its infancy, though, right? Like, we're, we're, there's only been, what, six, seven Olympic finals? You mentioned Angela James. Yeah, she played before the Olympics were, you know, catering to women's hockey that, that just must be it right the first tournament was in 1998 so it's only been around for quick math 24 years right about yeah so uh, yeah i mean i'm sure there's going to be many many more there might not be many like sarah nurse though uh with the performance that she had let's go to the nhl and actually one of my favorite segments it's Trades that happen in our our markets. Uh, we saw deals Ooh. in both Montreal and Toronto. We like to break down our own stuff on this show. So uh, yeah. you, you had the Tyler Toffoli trade. Uh, we had a Nick Ritchie trade here in Toronto. Um, we talked a little bit about Calgary, I think, uh, on Zone Time. Did we not? We did. A little bit. So that obviously, that that's the more interesting thing. Um uh, as part as that, as far as that deal goes, with the better player involved going to what could be a Stanley Cup contender, or at least a division favorite in the Calgary Flames, uh, a division leader at least. Um, but I want to hear about it from the Montreal side because I don't think you were able to break that down. So this should be the first of several deals. This may be, this may be the one of the biggest consequence. To be honest, uh, I don't know if Sherratt's return will be more. I don't know if someone like Petrie or even Carey Price or or whoever might go. Um, but this is a, I don't want to say top line player, but a, a top line scorer. I think I mentioned on zone time that over the two shortened seasons through COVID, he was one of like 15 players that hit 50 goals. So in recent seasons, one of the best goal scorers in the league going to the Calgary Flames in a deal. So the return pretty substantial and pretty important in terms of the first steps here in the teardown phase for the Montreal Canadiens. So what has excited the market about the deal? What is sort of the reaction in the market to the deal? And how would you assess Montreal's success after sort of the first domino goes down? The very first thing is that Tyler Toffoli being the first guy out in terms of what this process is, I think surprised a lot of people because for with the way that this team 
has its young players and the pain that they're likely going to endure for the rest of this season, possibly into next. You obviously still need a couple veterans around who are going to want to play in Montreal and are going to want to, you know, be around some of the younger players and also just score goals whenever they need to. And Tyler Toffoli is on a pretty decent contract. Uh, so a lot of people kind of, I guess maybe we're hoping that Tyler Toffoli would stick around, but the fact that he's the one shipped out and it's not a Ben Sherratt who is a UFA or it's not even a Jeff Petrie who expressed some discontent at, at uh, some coaching tactics when Dominic Ducharme was still here. I think a lot of people really kind of took it as like, okay, this is for sure like a, a rebuild because Tyler Toffoli is a guy who expressed that he would, he would have no problem sticking around and kind of made it seem as if like he likes being in Montreal. So the fact that he was able to go, a lot of people were a bit surprised by that. But I think there's been a lot of debate about the return too, because I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair move. You get a the Canadians get a first round pick, they get a fifth, they get a roster body who will, you know, just they could either flip them for more picks later at the deadline or they just keep them around just for the sake of having bodies when they ship out other players. And then you get Emil Heineman, who Kent Hughes went out of his way to call and say, Hey, we want you to know you're a part. We want you to know we wanted you in this trade. You're not just a throw-in. You may remember he was part of the Sam Bennett deal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are trying to figure out like what Emil Heineman is going to bring to the team down the line. Uh, but there are some people who feel the return was underwhelming and maybe they could have gotten more. Uh, I'm not sure how much more you can get. Like for a guy like Tyler Toffoli, competing teams are going to be going after him. And the first round picks they might give up are going to be later in that first round. I know the pick is like top 10 protected, but the Flames are not going to fall off so far that their pick is going to end up getting to that point. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are are, are getting up in arms about what Emil Heineman's ceiling is. Uh, but I think a lot more of them are, are very, I don't want to say taken aback, but I think they're a little surprised that Tyler Toffoli was the first one out. Even Nick Suzuki, I think, like admitted as such that like, you know what, this is the sign of a rebuild. Like he used hmm. the word rebuild. And that's another thing that Kent Hughes hasn't fully said yet. Like it's a rebuild or a retool, but I think him trading Tyler Toffoli might be indicative enough that he's leaning for the rebuild side as opposed to the retool side that says, okay, you keep some of the guys that are, you know, for sure are good. Uh, you just kind of shuffle some shuffle some chairs around and then you make it work. This is this is a teardown. Yeah, uh, interesting that the players are using the the that buzzword. Um, but you know, when you look at you know value in or money in or resources in resources out, pretty decent you know bit of combined business i guess from these executive teams like if if i'm not mistaken tyler Toffoli was just an unrestricted free agent who came over the year before they went to the stanley cup final correct so correct. it's a free money transfer just a guy that you outbid the vancouver canucks for i believe uh in order to get him <laughs> in and now yeah. he's after he scored a bunch of goals and helped you go to the stanley cup final and you're ready to rebuild he brought in a first round pick and a prospect and and uh another depth draft pick so in terms of like what to expect like this isn't someone that you invested in a draft pick developed and brought to this next level it was a guy who came over for free and you were able to sell him back for a first round pick and just on the surface that's good I mean not to say this is how they drew it up not to say that they expected to deal him one year after uh acquiring him on the free transfer market um that wasn't always the plan but it ended up being okay. And again, all these deals are going to be under the microscope and as they should. But uh, 
it feels like a good first step for me uh, to quote Nick Suzuki with this rebuild. Um, but we'll see how all the rest of the deals go down and you should be very busy, Julian, until you're not over there in Montreal. Oh, uh, the boy. De- I'm looking the forward de- to that. Just detailing all these trades, asking Chris Johnston what, what players are going to go next. I'm, 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 awaiting, I'm waiting for a Ben Chirot deal like any day now. I was saying mm-hmm. this is on the other day. Uh, I know he's on injured reserve. And I don't know if you've seen in the last few days, a lot of people have been looking at Ben Chirot's season. They're looking at his underlying metrics. And they're saying like, man, like how is this guy worth like a first round pick? If I'm Kent Hughes right now, I'm not sure I want Ben Schrott playing any more games personally. Just like, I don't want him to do anything else that yeah. might affect his trade I mean, value. I, I get that. But like, how quickly do we forget? Like we remember what Ben Schrott did last year in the postseason, right? Like this is, and we're seeing what Jeff Petrie is doing this year, where he was in the Norris trophy conversation last year and just yeah. has been awful this year. Like, Let's let's just remind ourselves what these players are capable of and what the situation they're in now, uh, how that might affect how they're playing. Like I I I don't know how you could ignore what Ben Schrott did last year and say that he's washed or he's not going to help a team. Like if you're to the Toronto Maple Leafs and you don't think Ben Schrott could help your team, I don't know what to tell you because he just showed you last year in the postseason exactly what he could do with defensive help to all-star high-end players like Austin you Matthews and is? Mitch Marner. That's the reason. Matthews and Marner, the reason why they didn't get past the Montreal Canadiens. They didn't score enough. They did fine from a defensive standpoint. They did fine from a goaltending standpoint. What they didn't do is score goals. And who was responsible for that? And who helped shut down Vegas? And who helped shut down the Winnipeg Jets in a four-game sweep? It was Phil Deneau, Shea Weber, Ben Sherratt in front of Carey Price. And we're just forgetting that. But, but, but here's the thing. If Ben Sherratt was just put out there, I think other teams like the I think I, I guess from the fans' perspective, because I mean, look, we're not GMs, and they obviously have their looks on players, and I think they're more thinking along what you're saying. But I know mm-hmm. for fans who freak out, like I remember, like a couple months ago, or maybe not a couple months ago, maybe like about a month ago, uh, I actually got to sit in on uh, a live recording of In the Mentions with our good buddy Tic Tac Tomar. And at that point, like the Ben Sherratt rumors were just slowly starting to percolate. I threw out a fake trade that had someone like wrote on Twitter where like Ben Sherratt was go to the Leafs and like Topi Nimala would come like the other way. Dude lost it for a straight minute on that. (laughs) And that's the whole problem with this whole Ben Sherratt thing. I don't think it's necessarily the player that people are mad at here. And I mean, fine, they're going to bring up all the underlying metrics and the penalties that he takes and stuff like that. But when you hear stuff like, oh, well, the Canadians want him at the want him away for the similar return that, that uh, the David Savard trade went for between Columbus, uh, Tampa, and I think Detroit mm-hmm. got to retain some salary in that too. But a first-round pick was exchanged in that. Everyone loses their minds because they're like, well, why would a first-rounder go? Like, what would happen? But to a point I brought up earlier, if you're a contending team, the first round pick is going to be late. In, it's going to be late anyway. You're not giving up a first round pick that's going to be in the draft lottery. You're not giving up a pick that's like mid round. And I understand the draft is a crapshoot, but if you're a competing team and you're trying to win, the first round pick should not matter to you that much. Should Ben Sherratt necessarily go for a first round pick? Personally, I think that price is a little bit steep. And I also think with the Leafs as well, considering what they gave up for Nick Foligno last year, there's definitely some apprehension about the idea of them possibly giving up a first round yeah. pick again. Yeah. So I think I think the return 
uh, I think the what's out there for Ben Sherratt or what has been uh, thrown out there for through reports that I think has fueled a lot to the discourse surrounding this defenseman. Because you're right, he did contribute to that Canadians playoff run. And I think aside from whatever mistakes he does on the ice, he's a big body who could also skate. He, I think, the team skating is an underrated part of his game. But man, like at, at I don't know, man. Like he's somebody that. I know for me, I'd have questions about dealing away a first round pick. And I think for other fans, everyone just kind of like loses their mind, lose, they lost their minds over this. And remember the Canadians are even willing to retain salary. If Ben Sherratt is, is willing to go the other way. Like, I don't know, like he'll get traded obviously, but I think we just have to be mindful of the fact that like, I think it's the fact that like, it could be like for like a first, a third or whatever that also plays into it. Yeah, there, I mean, I think if if you're talking specifically about the Leafs, I think there has to be some PTSD because of Nick Felino and because of what they've done in recent um, um, trade deadlines, and it's blown up in their faces. They've basically pillaged their draft capital on failures such as Nick Felino, David Redich, go down the line, right? It's it it has not gone well on that side of things. But he is he's the type of player they need, and instead, we'll get to part two here of trades or transactions in our markets with the deal that did go down for with Nick Ritchie going to the Arizona Coyotes with a second or third round pick for Ilya Labushkin. You're going to have to learn how yeah. to say that perfectly. Ilya Labushkin and Ryan Zingle. Ryan Zingle of former first round fame, I think as well, a couple of years ago when he was dealt. Um, certainly his stock has fallen. But I mean, I think going from Sherratt to Labushkin is the perfect segue because we know what Ben Sherratt could do in a big moment. We've seen it. Maybe we haven't seen it this year. Maybe it's completely gone, but at least there is some history, some track record of some postseason dominance or some postseason shutdown capability. With Ilya Labushkin, this is a completely unknown quantity or okay, quantity. And, and this is a player that, like, I've long said, I've said on this podcast many times before, I think the biggest blind spot in data-driven hockey analysis is the depth defender who plays for a terrible team and has zero offensive upside. This is Ilya Labushkin to a T. This guy has one goal in 180 NHL games in his career. One in 180. So he's not bringing anything from the offensive standpoint. And, okay, you look at his defensive metrics. Maybe they show some signs of life. But this is a player who's playing sheltered minutes for the worst team in the league. And you can't really tell what sort of value he gives you from an analytical perspective, at least I don't believe, when he's not in a real situation. He's not in a real environment where he has stress that he has to deal with and he has good players coming after him in meaningful moments. Can he clear the puck off the glass? I guess so, because that's what he's been doing in in Arizona. But I have no idea how this guy is going to fit. And if this is the one bet, if this is the guy that's supposed to come in and optimize the group, I don't really know what you're trying to do. To me, this is the seventh or eighth defenseman. Maybe he's the upgrade on Timothy Liljegren. Maybe he's sort of the steadying presence a la Ron Hainsey, who can help a guy like Rasmus Sandin in a third pair. But to me, this deal is about just getting rid of Nick Ritchie. Of course, yeah. they're, they were paying some buried money for him to be in the minors next year, full $2.5 million, getting out from the, under that, not having to pay anything, and actually getting something that might be useful. That's great. Maybe it's worth the second or third round pick. I guess so. Um, but to believe or to tell yourself that Ilya Labushkin and Ryan Zingle together are going to be the two pieces that sort of 
push this team over the over the hump or give them what they what they don't have, I can't really see it. For Ryan Zingle, I think he might be the upgrade on Alex Galchenyuk or potentially Josh Hosang of that depth that could step up and play, you know, decently meaningful minutes in a pinch. But to me, this is like, okay, they bought like the best dish sponges, but how is that going to contribute to the end product and the taste of the meal, right? Like it doesn't, it's not going to really do anything for me. So I, I hope there's another deal. I hope this allows them to make the other deal because they've gotten rid of Nick Ritchie and it's big for next year, but I just don't think it's going to mean anything right now. And of course you gave up another potentially high pick to cover off a mistake. So there's good and bad here, but I feel like it's not really meaningful. Yeah. It's just like a, I, I, for me, when I saw that trade go down, uh, my big thinking was, okay, they really need to get rid of Nick Ritchie. We know he was on waivers. We know he had been in, in parts of rumors. This was just something that had to be done. I don't see uh, Leo Bushkin as necessarily like a full-time answer for like, say like, they're like, man, you know what? We don't want to get Ben Sherratt. He's going to be our Ben Sherratt. Like he's going to be clearly a depth defenseman. And look, in the playoffs, you need depth to get you through. Ryan Dezingle, at the very least, he'll prove to be some kind of decent secondary scoring option for the Leafs when they need it in the playoffs. Because we know when it comes down to it, teams to lock down the top star talent, and it's on the other guys below them in the depth chart to have to step up and provide that scoring when you can. Ryan Dezingle, he's scored goals before. He's done it in all the different stops he's been through the NHL. I don't think that's necessarily a bad player to get on the other side of it. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't know if the Leafs are done. I mean, I'll tell you this, like, that's not a trade to me that says, all right, man, if they're going up against the Florida Panthers in the first round, that's what's going to put them over the top. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I don't know if that's what the Leafs were necessarily going for. I think they were just saying, okay, you know what? We could get, we could offload Nick Ritchie. We give up this conditional pick, which we'll have to worry about in like 2023 or 2025. And we get two roster bodies back coming the other way that help us solidify the team. This is just part of the building process as far as I'm concerned. I think the Leafs did okay. They got rid of a body they didn't, they had wanted to offload for a while. But like, this isn't something for me where I'm like, okay, man, like, the Leafs are done shopping. Give them the round one win. Yeah, I will say this like, at least they get a look at Labushkin for what, a month? We're a month away from the trade deadline. So you can see him for a month. You can slot him in with Sandine on the third pair. You can see if that gives them a measure of defensive responsibility they've maybe been without uh, with Liljegren holding on to that position for most of the year. And it, it lets you, okay. It lets you see what you might be still missing. Um, if that makes any more sense, like what do we still need over the next month with what could be a seventh or eighth defenseman now in the holster? I think that's the one thing. If it, w- the timing of it, at least let's, because we heard Kyle Dubas say it. He said, we want to keep, evaluating we want to keep evaluating okay now another body is in here you can evaluate that body and you still got a month to go so i feel like that's one quality if you're a leaf fan freaking out that this is the one deal remind yourself probably more about richie and that there's still time for the leafs to make a bigger splash although it's probably not ben Sherat, even though i at least think that would be a good deal St. Louis Blues might get him. A lot of people, uh, Freed. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he would play well with St. Louis for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, like that is the perfect he would fit spot. Well. That was the perfect yeah. spot. Um, yeah, we I shall see. Fit right. Anyway, go ahead. And I like the Blues. I like the Blues. I think they're going to be a, a handful. But, uh, you know, they have a lot of Ben Sherrod already. 
and, and I think doubling down on what is postseason hockey. They've won a Stanley Cup in the last four years. Like they sort of understand the difference of going from the regular season to the postseason. I still think that's important. I, and I and I and I'm amazed by how many people are sort of like just, oh, that was that was ten months ago. It doesn't matter. We just saw him thrive in that same situation that you're looking to, you know, prepare yourself for. As wait, we wait, speak. wait, wait, hold up, hold up. Before we end off on the Ben Chirot rhetoric, you are a general manager. Are you throwing a first round pick for Ben? You wait. You are a general manager of a competing team looking to go to the Stanley Cup playoffs and looking to make a run. Are you including a first round pick in your deal for Ben Chirot? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what if I, I if I really think I can win the Stanley Cup and I need it, I do it. Because how how many elite teams are there in the NHL? Less than like ten. Five. Less than like ten five. for sure. Yeah. Yes. So if you're one of those teams or you believe you can get ascend into those five, you can make it six per se with a with a deal like that. I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, there's not many there's not many one in six chances, one in seven, one in eight chances to win a Stanley Cup. What are you holding on to a late round, late first round pick for? Maybe you could get rid of a prospect instead. Maybe. That's another thing I was thinking about too with Kent Hughes. I get the sense that, you know, a lot of people are throwing out draft picks, but I think the Emil Heineman thing kind of for me made me think of this. Emil Heineman was a guy drafted in the second round. You could argue that like the Flames could have easily thrown in an actual second round pick in that trade for Tyler Toffoli. I wonder if Kent Hughes of the Montreal Canadiens is, is, is cool with the idea of not necessarily getting another first-round pick for Ben Chirot, but say the Blues have like a player they picked in the first round a couple mm-hmm. years ago that's worth throwing out there. Uh, maybe this is a lesser example, and I know I'm going to mention this name and people listening to this are going to be like, hey, that was out there this week. That's like a random tweet that was out there. But Vitaly Krapsov of the yeah. New York Rangers was a first-round pick. Is that someone that's equivalent to, to what the Montreal Canadiens might want. That's also something that needs to be considered in this as well. I'll say this too. While I do think that there is reason for people to uh, be to be apprehensive about throwing a first-round pick for Ben Chirot, if you are one of those contending teams, or I guess I'll reiterate because I kind of made the point earlier. If you are a contending team, one of those elite teams, I think it was about five, that first-round pick doesn't matter to you as much. 100%. 100%. And Vitaly Kravtsov, by the way, doesn't really matter to the New York Rangers because he's not going to play for them. No. So how do you sweeten that? Do you, can you sign Ben Sherratt to a three-year extension or something like that? Again, I think that's the type of player that would work for Gallant and for the Rangers who are sort of built that way. Have a good mix of puck movers and stay-at-home guys, Jacob Truba, et cetera. You know, it all makes sense to me. It all makes sense to me uh, for in a, on a variety of levels and for quite a few teams, although I don't think the Rangers are in that top eight just yet. So maybe they have to sweeten it themselves. Um, Okay, let's move on. There will be more trades in our markets and transactions in our markets to break down. I think this segment will be pretty pretty relevant uh, until the March 21st deadline. But let's move to Brad Marchand. Now, this is a guy that we praise when it's warranted. We praised him a lot this season because he's shown his personality. Of course, he's a superstar player. But we have to slam Marshawn when he loses control, like he did against the Penguins, and when he reaches laughable levels of hypocrisy, like he did versus the Penguins. We learned this week that his six-game suspension for punching and poking Tristan Jari would be upheld. And apparently in that meeting, Marshawn said that Jari said, how about that effing save? And that is what set him off. Now, because that's what provoked the attack, 
the attack. Of course, we have to bring up last season when Artemi Panarin threw his glove at Marshawn. And again, there was no suspension there. It was just kind of funny. But Marshawn said that was prompted by him saying that people hate him back in Russia, to which Marshawn responded with, if that's what sets guys over the edge, then this is the softest league in the world. That, my friends, is hypocrisy, right? Because what Tristan Jari said was nothing, and what Marshawn said wasn't quite nothing, but wasn't that serious, really. I mean, it could be taken seriously. I get that. But Marshawn showing a little bit, you know, calling... uh, calling the kettle black or pot calling the kettle kettle black, whatever that saying is, it applies to Brad Marchand, who is, uh, who, who didn't quite have his stories all straight when it comes down to these on ice incidents. Don't mind me. Uh, just uh, tea. taking a nice, just sipping some tea over here. Well, actually it's actually uh, some uh, lime bubbly, uh, you know, don't mind me. The best carbonated beverage. Absolutely. Yeah, this is absolutely ridiculous for Brad Barshaw. You can't be out here dishing it and not being able to take it. There's an absolute laughable reason for you to start getting antsy and, and doing whatever you did to Tristan Jari. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Dude, I, I just thought it was completely laughable. And yeah, I'm glad the NHL had some sense and upheld that suspension. Because if they found a way to decrease that, then we would have lost our minds. That would have been a big mistake on the part of the national hockey league. And at that point, it's pretty much open season for any prominent player who can get away with being a past. We're looking at you, Tom Wilson, essentially. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what it would have happened. But like, I just think it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows that as much as Brad Marchand can agitate, he can be agitated. Right. I mean, that was really nothing in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, we talked about the maturation of this player. I think we've seen it. He was licking players, what, five, four, five years ago, licking players on the face in games, in playoff well games. Well before Corona. Like, <laughs> yes, he's he's sort of, uh, you know, he he's reformed himself a little bit, but he's still got that inner demon Brad Marchand in him. Uh, and if you can set him off, it's not that hard. So Tristan Jari may be giving us a little information or giving potential playoff opponents to the Boston Bruins, a little information, Uh, you know, it doesn't change it. I still think Brad Marchand is like had a great year, been one of like the standout players from a personality perspective. Of course, he's brilliant on the ice as well. Uh, But it just shows me like he's, he's still got, still got a little screw loose sometimes and can be provoked, which is important information. If you're a potential opponent down the stretch, Uh, let's get to the tire pumps. I'll start. I'll go with Uri Slavkovsky. The draft-eligible Slovakian forward had seven goals in seven games at the Olympic tournament. He was named the MVP. uh, And he led Slovakia to its first-ever Olympic medal. Of course, Slovakia won bronze, beating Sweden in the third-place game. So, you know, we talked about a lot of prospects, you know, being involved in this tournament. Owen Power, we mentioned earlier, Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson, Matthew Nyes, Nick Abruzzese, like a lot of guys who we thought, hey, this could be a moment for them to sort of really step up and make something of themselves before they get to the NHL. And yet it was the lesser known, Uri Slavkovsky, who will be drafted this summer, hopefully in Montreal, not by Montreal necessarily, but in Montreal. Um and uh, he'll start his NHL career then after bagging an Olympic medal in an MVP award 
on a big, big stage. So congratulations to him and a worthy tire pump, in my humble opinion. Uh, my tire pump for this week goes to Philip Deneau. Uh, with the Los Angeles Kings, left the Montreal Canadiens in the offseason, 14 goals. That is a uh, per, that is a career high in goals for him. For a guy who last year reports surfaced that uh, obviously he wanted to, you know a new deal with the Montreal Canadiens and wanted – uh, his his offensive talents to be emphasized and already through 48 games with the Los Angeles Kings he has 14 goals he could very well get to a 20 goal season he has shown that he is a good center dependable guy to use the Kings will like him for years going forward and the Canadians really miss him and all the changes that have transpired with this team the leadership void that's there not having Carey Price not having Shea Weber you could make an argument that the Biggest loss to the team is losing is letting Philip Deneau go for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think this team's center depth could definitely use a player like Philip Deneau being able to shut down some of the best players, continue to insulate a player like Nick Suzuki, and be able to chip in goals whenever possible. This is a guy who solely scored five with the Canadians last year. We all know what he ended up doing uh, against some of the league's best teams in the playoffs. But now in LA, it looks as if he's He's thriving. He's able to put, produce offensively and defensively. Uh, it's looking as if uh, the Canadians letting go of Philip Deneau uh, it has been a big, is sorely like a huge mistake for this franchise to do. And uh, well, that's a, I think it's a reason why they're on the track they're on right now. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, like the the value in, value out sort of uh, conversation with Tyler Toffoli being a benefit to Montreal Imagine if Phil Deneau had one year left on his contract and the Montreal Canadiens were in the position where they were in now, what they could get for him on the open market, given what he did in the playoffs, of course, what he could mean to uh, to a team. Of course, the goal scoring probably wouldn't have been there because he's getting a new opportunity, maybe an increased role in that regard in LA, which is great. Um, just wonder if he wanted to get away from Mark Bergevin and now. Mark Bergevin is there. <laughs> well, well, like, I think about with Phil Deneau too, like, if Blake Coleman is worth a first-round pick, then absolutely the Montreal Canadiens would ask for a first-round pick for Philip Deneau Every, as well. Everyone's worth a first-round pick now. It's it's. I mean, Ilya Labushkin just went for a second-round pick. I get Nick Ritchie was involved, <laughs> Ryan Zinga was involved, but it, and it's a conditional, but it could be a second-round pick. So, um, you know, that's something that we've got to get used to, right? Like, kind of the value of these players has been distorted a little bit, continues to change, and it just depends on what the market is willing to pay for those. For those players, if Ben Sherrod is sought after enough, he could go for a first round pick. If Phil Deneau was in that situation, I'm sure it'd be a heated competition and there'd be first round picks on the table with so, so few teams actually, you know, being elite, as we mentioned earlier, um, they're, they're, if they're not willing to part with their first round pick, then they're falling behind um, mm-hmm. at the trade deadline. We are a month away from that trade deadline. We've got a couple events leading up into that. We have a heritage classic between Toronto and Buffalo that we'll be covering uh you're going to be on location in a couple weeks so maybe the timing for us changes a little bit but hopefully we'll be able to get in shows every week until then of course we've got zone time midweek we have myself uh on a solo podcast each week as well so we're going to continue to break down all the happenings of the trade deadline we're a month away from that there should be feverish movement we can only hope we talk about trades and transactions in our own markets my favorite new segment here on the show julian uh but we'll it. leave it there family day do, do they have family day in Quebec? Uh, no, they do not. So no, I do eh? not have Monday off. 
I, everyone mm-hmm. else in the rest of the country does like if people kept talking at work people kept talking about like yeah it's a long weekend and i'm like what the hell is everyone talking about i was so confused I was like what the hell is going on i, I have no clue it was a long weekend uh everywhere else except here for family day was that like you all just like spend time with your families like that's it no no i don't think uh well i mean sure i'm sure some people do but uh <laughs> i actually will i will see i'll see family i'll see family not on family day but uh there will be a family appearance this weekend. There's no excuse for you to not see your family. You got to work on Monday, but you know, you've been Super Bowl chef last weekend. I'm sure you could treat your family to something nice, whether it's today or tomorrow. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no. I mean, you could, you could just on not family. do that. So, yeah. So maybe not. <laughs> okay. I'll let you I'll decide. I want no pressure, no pressure. No pressure. You don't have to do what You don't have to do what us Ontarians do. Um, but uh, is it just an Ontario thing, or is it the rest of the country? I don't know. They just made it up. <laughs> idea. I feel like it's a. I feel it's like a Ford production. I have no idea if it is, but either Rob or Doug came up with this, and now we're stuck with it. Stuck with our yeah, families on Monday on a random February weekend. Is Chris back from Beijing? Did he go? It wasn't in Beijing. Sorry. Oh, studio, a studio there. in CBC at CBC. Okay. All right. So, like, you get to. I'm sure he doesn't want to see his family right now after working <laughs> the last two weeks. <laughs> Maybe he'll just show yeah, up so he can't get a nap in. Anyway, we're off the rails. Montreal, actually. He'll probably be in Montreal for the uh, Canadian Leafs game, actually. So uh, when's that yeah, next weekend? Okay. No, that's uh, that's that's family day. Oh yeah, he he doesn't get a family day. It might be on TSN. <laughs> I don't. Know. I have no idea. It shows how much I'm paying attention to my family, Julian. Yeah, geez, me too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, let's wrap this. I appreciate you uh, coming on again for another Sunday. We had zone time. We'll get you next weekend and following weekends because we got a lot to break down uh, as we approach the silly trade season. So, again, Yahoo Sports, the hockey podcast. That's what this was. Julian, thanks for joining me. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.